the character Clayton Danvers was explosive. He was at times full of rage and very violent. And so tapping into that was difficult for me. It was a real challenge that I enjoyed. I took it on. You just have to find things in you to get to that place. And I think everyone has that in them somewhere deep inside. So it's just finding out how to access that. But one thing I did before I booked the role, in preparation for it, I was living in Vancouver at the time and I went hiking in the North Shore Mountains with my friend's dog. I went off the trail and I stripped down completely naked and just ran around the forest and howled. And I think the dog was a little confused, to be honest. But it's in the show, it's part of the lore. Whenever we go to change into a wolf, we strip down and just change into a, not a hybrid man-wolf, an actual wolf. I just felt like tapping into that wild side of me. I'm Peter McCulley. Actor Grayston Holt has a long resume of movie and TV roles. You may have seen him as a security guard on Alcatraz, a cowboy singing with Dina Carter. He's been a werewolf, appeared in a romance movie with his wife, Christina Rosado, and had the gritty lead role in The House of Chains, just to name a few. Grayston Holt on this edition of Today in BC. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you. Your dad is a lifelong musician. And growing up around music, I'm sure there's lots of folks that would have thought that Grayston's path is going to be a musician. So tell us how you discovered acting and how you got started in the industry. Creatively growing up, music was always my passion. In my yearbook, my graduating yearbook, when the question was posed, like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And my answer was touring the country with a Marshall stack in a rock and roll band, that kind of thing. But I like working alone. I like not relying on other people. And as much as I enjoy the collaborative aspect of being in a band, the creative part of it, you still have different personalities you're relying on. And so acting is a solo endeavor. You have a team, I have my manager, my agent, but the creative part is all me. It's all on me. And I like that sort of lone wolf aspect of it. What do you enjoy most about working in the entertainment industry? What I enjoy most about working in the entertainment industry is, aside from the work itself, the creative part, I like work where you work hard and long and intensely for shorter periods of time and then have extended periods of time off to enjoy life. Film and TV shoots are pretty grueling when you're a lead or a supporting lead. Long hours, it's a lot of emotions. Egos are at play often and it's exhausting, but then you have the time afterward to unwind, recoup, recharge and enjoy other aspects of life that, that are meaningful to me. And I also enjoy the fact that every job is different. It's in a different place with different people, different script, different character. For me, that's something that I knew I always needed in my life. It was not routine. And I think that's a part of being an actor that I really like. One of your very first acting jobs was on an epic miniseries with Steven Spielberg as a producer. It was entitled Into the West. So I'm interested in how that role came to you. You were a fairly young man. And what was it like to be in a movie that was produced by Spielberg with, as I say, an epic number of people in that cast? Yeah, that was very early on in my career. I'm, if I had a couple credits, I'd be surprised at that point. And I auditioned for it, got the role. It was my first on-location job, it was shooting in Calgary. It was by far the largest-scale production I'd ever been on. It was a miniseries, but it was shot like a feature film. The budget was through the roof, and I was in awe of the machine. Like, it's one thing to do a bit part here and there on, on local smaller movies, but when you step onto a set like that, 
I'm still in awe whenever I get a chance to work on a production like that. But it was a blast. It was a Western. You really got to step back into that time period with the wardrobe, the revolvers, everything. It was a blast. Yeah. Yeah. I've looked at the IMDb credits on that movie and there's well over 200 actors. Yeah. It was a huge production that spanned many eras and, and timelines the logistics alone of gathering up a cast like that and making sure everyone fits into place and works for the story. I think casting directors are largely unsung in the industry, but I find it's so crucial, especially when you have a cast that large for it to all fall into place. And sooner or later, they're your best friend. Yeah, it's a love-hate relationship. I've been doing it for so long in this country that I have a pretty good relationship with most of the bigger casting directors, but going down to the U.S., it feels like you're starting over again. They don't really recognize your Canadian credits. It can be really hard to break in and make an impression down there. But the good ones are good at what they do, and they are often a crucial piece of what makes a production come together. Also very early in your career, you co-starred in Durham County and played the role of Ray Prager Jr. His father was a serial killer. What appealed to you about that role? Many things appealed to me about that role. I auditioned for it, I got it, and I was happy to get it. And then as often when you audition for roles too, there's minimal information available. Scripts aren't often even available. So you have a character summary and some audition sides, some scenes that they pulled from the scripts. You audition, you hope to get it. And I remember I liked the material, but I fell in love with it as I received scripts and started to dive into that world and that character. And it was a dark show. It was very dark, but it was beautifully written. I had an amazing group of castmates whom I learned so much from. It was my first real big job that I got to sink my teeth into. I feel like that project was a real turning point for me. When you get bit parts here and there, it's hard to imagine it as a career. You hope it'll pan out for you, but nothing's guaranteed. So being a series regular on a series, shooting in Montreal away from home, it felt like, oh, this is good. I was getting paid decently. I loved the project. It felt like I was actually doing the work. And so that for me was a real turning point in terms of being like, wow, this is really what I want to do. And I want to pursue this hard. We can't talk about your early roles in television and movies without talking about Clayton Danvers. He's a very popular guy. You were nominated for a Leo Award for your role in Bitten, playing a werewolf. I'm really interested to know how you prepare every time you step on the set. I have so much to say about that role. It was 10 years ago now that we shot that as well. When you get the lead in a series, you think that they're going to just keep coming. And that's not the case. It's You still have to get out there and grind. So that show and being part of it was, was a really special time. And in terms of the character, that was, I think, the most challenging role for me because I've never been in a fight in my life. I'm not an aggressive person. I avoid conflict at all costs. I hate conflict especially physical conflict. And so the character Clayton Danvers was explosive. He was at times full of rage and very violent. And so tapping into that was difficult for me. It was a real challenge that I enjoyed. I took it on. You just have to find things in you to get to that place. And I think everyone has that in them somewhere deep inside. So it's just finding out how to access that. But one thing I did before I booked the role, I was being flown out to Toronto to screen test for the role. And that's sort of the last step in the process of getting cast. I was reading scenes with the other actress who'd been cast as my fellow lead. Very nervous going into it and in preparation for it. I was living in Vancouver at the time and I went hiking in the North Shore Mountains with my friend's dog. I went off the trail and I stripped down completely naked and just ran around the forest and howled. 
And I think the dog was a little confused, to be honest. But it's in the show, it's part of the lore. Whenever we go to change into a wolf, we strip down and just change into a, not a hybrid man-wolf, an actual wolf. I just felt like tapping into that wild side of me. You're lucky you didn't get arrested. Yeah. I'm just researching for a role, officer. <laughs> you played the part of Sam Neill in flashback sequences in the television program Alcatraz. I think it ran for about three seasons and... You were very early in on it. It was uh, well-received. I'm wondering, did you actually get to shoot on the island of Alcatraz? Because that just looks like a fascinating place to visit to me. Yes. I was flown down to San Francisco, and we had a few days of filming on Alcatraz itself, which was a pinch-myself moment because it's such an iconic location. And we were there after hours, after the tourists have left. We had the run of the place. It was really eerie, too, because we were there at night doing night shoots, and Basically, we're allowed to walk around wherever you wanted to when you had time off. Yeah, that was particularly cool. That was one of those sort of highlights in the career, for sure. And then what was incredible is we just shot there for some establishing exterior shots. We did some interior as well, but they built an insanely accurate replica in Vancouver of the interior of the cell blocks and some of the other locations that working metal doors... Set deck is amazing and set design, like what these people can do is incredible. But yeah, being there in person, there's nothing that beats that. You show up in a number of sci-fi shows early in your career, Smallville, Flash Gordon, Stargate Universe, most recently, I think probably Batwoman. Do you enjoy the genre? I do. I think part of why I've done so many of those shows is because I've been an actor based in Vancouver and Vancouver's long been the sort of sci-fi hub and I like it. With sci-fi, everything's a little heightened in terms of dialogue and delivery and all that. You get to step into these pretty fantastical, insane worlds and often have very interesting wardrobe and you're holding weapons you've never held before and there's aliens or you're acting to a green screen and there's a guy with a green ball that's supposed to be a monster and you're terrified of it and you feel like an idiot. and So it's fun. There's a lot of unique challenges in doing sci-fi, but I had a blast doing it. You mentioned being a Canadian actor versus working in the United States. Perhaps we could pursue that for a moment. You spent time in California looking for acting jobs to further the career and the resume. Are there advantages to being a Canadian-based actor versus a Canadian actor in the U.S.? Yeah, I think there are certain advantages. Obviously, if you're shooting for the top, you want to break into the American market. But I think you can make a good living being a Canadian-based actor. And it's also lifestyle, too. That's important for me and my partner, Christina, is there's a grind going down to L.A. It's not very forgiving. It can eat your soul away. It's a very unique place. If you're in the industry, especially, it's hard to avoid. It's just it's all consuming when you're down there. But in Canada, I find in living on Salt Spring Island now where I grew up, I find I can really remove myself from it when I need to, which is most of the time. I love what I do, but it's also my job and I like to be able to separate the two. And so I find being in Canada, it allows me to do that more. And also for the work itself, a lot of American productions, they get a certain amount of tax credits for hiring local actors. So, you know, there's a good amount of work to go around as a Canadian living in Canada who's paying Canadian taxes. So, yeah, there's benefits to both. It's just for us, the choice is mostly lifestyle. And these days, everything's so remote. It was going in that direction pre-pandemic, but since the pandemic... If we have an iPhone and a tripod, we can tape auditions wherever we are in the world, upload them. We're good to go. We can just live where we want to live. I wanted to ask you about a show you were in recently, which was Night Agent. It was the most watched show globally for a couple of weeks, and I think 
in the top five of Netflix all-time most-watched series, and you played the role of a bad guy, but a really smooth bad guy. I was very grateful and fortunate to be a part of The Night Agent. I did play a bad guy, but I feel like I was a bad guy with good intentions, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Okay. If that's not an oxymoron. <laughs> I had a blast on that one. It was, it was a big production, fun, fast-paced show, and then... The success that came after was, I wouldn't say it was a surprise to me. I thought we did some good work on that, but you never know. There's a lot of good shows that just don't hit with audiences for whatever reason. And this one really exploded. It was wild watching the viewership take off when it aired. Last time I checked, it was the fifth most watched Netflix show in history. And it's like hundreds of millions of hours viewed. It's wild. So it was nice to be a part of that. And I was just in three episodes and I got offed in a pretty brutal way. But sorry, spoiler. <laughs> but yeah, I had a blast on that one. Tell us about being cast in the program FBI International last year. I know you're of Hungarian heritage and your role on the show is what we like to call a full circle moment. My partner and I were in Maui with our baby when I booked that. I taped an audition there in our little condo and... Like many of these auditions, you send them out and hope it sticks. And then two days later, my agent called me and she's like, okay, so they want you, but you have to be in Hungary, in Budapest in two days. I don't know that we could be much further away from <laughs> Hungary at yeah. the time. It was 12 time zones away. So we still had a week left in our vacation and this is our life. We're so used to just changing everything last minute, which is exponentially more difficult with a baby. But we did it. We caught a night flight out that night and we got home back to Salt Spring. And the next day I flew out to Hungary. I was to play a corrupt Hungarian national police officer. And like you were saying, my heritage is Hungarian and I've always wanted to go. And I was always hoping that a job would take me there. I think that was the job where I pinched myself the most amount of times every day. I was filming in these beautiful locations. The show takes place in Budapest, so they really shoot the city. They want to showcase it. Just hearing everyone around me speak the language that I grew up hearing my grandparents speak, which isn't that common in Canada to hear. And yeah, I really had an incredible time. When Today in BC continues, Grayston Holt talks about a few of the actors he's had the good fortune to work with, acting with his wife, Christina Rosado, and being a new father. From the latest community news to informative, entertaining reads for travelers and the cannabis curious. Just visit your local Black Press Media community newspaper website to sign up today. I'm Peter McCulley. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. Grayston, when the pandemic hit and everything was shut down, including movie sets, you and your wife, Christina, found yourselves in a very unique situation because no other working actors could be within six feet of each other on the set, and that offered some opportunities to you both. It certainly did. It was a small silver lining in a very unfortunate and tragic pandemic for pretty much every other reason. But one little nugget it threw our way was that early on, I think it was June 2020, when productions were figuring out how to get back to work, the social distancing guidelines were in place, the testing wasn't really where it is now. And so one workaround that they decided to do was to hire especially for these low-budget movies of the week, was to hire real-life couples, actors, and cast them as the couple in the movie because you're obviously within your own bubble. Christina and I were offered this film to shoot together. We were, if not the first, one of the first couple movies to, to get up and shooting after the pandemic in Canada and the U.S. And so there was a lot of pressure to do it right. COVID protocols were very new at the time. 
guidelines were still getting sorted out. So we wanted to do it right to prove that we could get back up and shooting. And we did. It went off without a hitch. And Christina and I had a blast. Like Often with these lower budget movies, you don't meet your co-star until the day you step on set. And it's like you have to create chemistry out of thin air. That's what you get paid to do, but it's it's not always that easy. And so obviously with Christina and I, it was actually harder to pull back the chemistry. <laughs> there are certain little things you do yeah. instinctually and almost subconsciously as a partner, whether you're just like touching the small of their back or whatever in a scene where the character shouldn't be doing that yet. <laughs> and so we'd get called on these little things. But it was a blast. We shot in Kelowna in wine country. It was a surreal time to be working and when everything was still largely shut down, but we made the most of it and had, had a good time. My wife and I were watching the movie after it came out, and I had told her about this particular thing. I said, Grayston and Christina are the first couple in Canada to work during the pandemic as working actors. And then about halfway through the movie, we realized everyone was standing at least six feet apart, except for you two. Yeah, we still did. Yeah, the social distancing. It was just Christina and I that were allowed to be close. We tried to shoot as much as the movie outside as possible. You got to remember, too, this was a time period when I think the daily case count of COVID infections in BC was like 20 or 30. It was like at the bottom of the barrel after the lockdown. So it was not like it was super high risk, but it was the first time since the lockdowns being in a confined space with 20 extras. We had one scene in a bus. Everyone's masked up. And as soon as you go rolling, everyone takes their mask down and cut, put your mask back up. Yeah, it was kind of surreal. You've had the opportunity to work with some pretty incredible actors throughout your career so far. We're only 20 years into this. You've got a long way to go. Is there anyone in particular who's had a significant impact on you or influenced your approach to acting thus far? So many actors have influenced me, and I've worked with so many who have inspired me and helped me along. But one particular actor who made a a real mark on me, just how I respected his work ethic, his skill, his ability to be a generous scene partner, castmate, was Greg Brick, who played Jeremy Danvers in Bitten. He was our pack alpha on and off screen, really passionate, dynamic person who was really the glue of our show. He reminds me of, have you seen Succession? Yes. Brian Cox was the glue that held that show together. And for me, both in his on and off screen presence, Greg was at for forbidden. He was a powerful, incredible actor. He was also the eldest of a younger cast. There's the craft of acting, and then there's also your set etiquette. There's how you are with your castmates, the crew. And I thought he was really graceful in how he handled all those situations. And he was patient with all of us. Aside from any direct help that an actor can give you, it's just being around them is helpful. Doing a scene with an incredible actor only elevates you, and he was certainly that. Let's call this the speed round. Perhaps you could offer a short comment or two or a story on these actors that you've been on the set with. And we could start with Allison Janney, best known for the West Wing in my world, and more recently the movie Lou. So I didn't have any scenes with Allison in Lou, but we crossed paths once at our trailers, and I had a nice little conversation with her. And she was just so open and easy to talk to, which more often than not, I hate to generalize. I think any Canadian actor will tell you this. If there's going to be someone who has a guard up and who has an air about them, it's usually the American actor coming up to work on a Canadian show. (laughs) And I don't know if it's just we have different sensibilities, whatever the case, but eight or nine times out of 10, if it's going to happen, it's the American actor. So you never know. I'm always 
very respectful. I never push too hard or try to spark up conversations where they feel unnatural with leads of anything I'm working on until it happens naturally. But she was just immediately very warm. We joked. She was funny and really kind human. Barbara Niven of Chesapeake Shores, whose father-in-law was the first James Bond. I did not know that. Yeah. David Niven Sr. No way. Yes. She was sweet. She was a sweetheart. Just warm, bubbly, inviting, very motherly. Yeah. Yeah. A really sweet person. Dina Carter, who is a singer, songwriter, actress, and Nashville royalty. Dina is the epitome of a Southern belle. She just exudes that Southern warmth and hospitality. I never followed country music that closely. For friends of mine who do, they're like, oh my God, Dina Carter. She's very successful, a country star, and she had no airs about her. She was accessible. She was kind. She was humble. She wanted to do the work. She was always like just so scared to mess up a line and she felt so bad if she did. But yeah, she's awesome. One of my favorite actors, Sam Neill, most know him from the Jurassic Park franchise, I guess. Yeah. So when I booked Alcatraz and found out Sam Neill was the lead, I was very excited because Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies of all time. Classic. But I only met him at the table read. I was playing him in flashbacks on screen, our paths never crossed. And uh, so I, I was very nervous. We, it was a big table read with all the cast and all the execs from Bad Robot. Some projects feel more heart. This felt, okay, this is the Hollywood machine and you're in the room. And I find those table reads so nerve wracking because it just comes around to you to say your line for the first time <laughs> and everyone's looking at you. So I don't have too much to say about him other than he had a very stoic sort of intimidating presence. In a good way. He wasn't trying to be that. He just had that in him. She's been around a long time on screen, even though she's a fairly young woman. Mina Savari started out with the American Pie franchise. I shot with Mina last summer. We did a movie called House of Chains, and she was wonderful. She was an incredible actress to work opposite from. And someone from my sort of teenage years was one of these heartthrob type girls that young boys had crushes on and in American Beauty Oscar winning film she was a part of that it was surreal to be working with someone who I know I had a bit of a crush on when I was in high school and uh, for that to sort of come full circle it was pretty wild how about uh, Rachel Lee Cook then Rachel another person who would have been a <laughs> high school crush she was in the late 90s, early aughts. She's All That and Josie and the Pussycats. Like these movies were huge, huge at the time when I was, I think, my mid to late teens. I find with what makes you starstruck, for lack of a better word, isn't necessarily how big of a quote unquote celebrity someone is. It's like the impact they had on you at a certain point in your life. And I find that time period when you're coming of age in your late teens, early 20s, it's like that just sticks with you hard. And so to work with her was really cool. And she's one of the kindest actresses I've ever worked with. Just a total sweetheart. Yeah. Danny Glover, Color Purple and the Lethal Weapon franchise movies. Yeah. Yeah. Danny is just a consummate gentleman. I worked with him in a film called Hannah's Law. And then I also randomly did this convention, a fan convention in Dortmund, Germany. And he was attending that convention and we shared a van ride together and it was like a two hour ride between towns. And he remembered me from the film that we shot, God, it was maybe 10 years earlier. And we had a great conversation. Some actors, they just don't even seem like actors when you talk to them. I'm just talking to this older gentleman and he's just so kind and giving in his conversation. And yeah, he's a cool guy. When I look at your acting resume, 
you're like a Swiss Army knife, and I don't know if you've planned it that way or not, but you're playing all kinds of different characters. Are there any dream roles or specific genres that you'd like to explore in the future if you had the chance? Yeah, I've certainly played a wide variety of characters over the years. I really like Westerns. I've shot a couple of them. I'd love to step back into that world. Something super futuristic would be fun. Sci-fi, going to new worlds. I love Interstellar. It's one of my favorite movies. I would love to do a big budget sci-fi film like that. Can you tell us about any unusual or interesting fan encounters you've had over the years? I haven't had anything super unusual in terms of fan encounters. I get fan mail here and there. I've met many fans at various fan conventions who draw a picture of you and bring it, and they're really proud of it, and it's very sweet, and that kind of thing. But nothing overly unusual, I would say. I just find fandom in general unusual. I don't have that in me, so I had a couple... Younger girls, I think it was at the height of Bitten when the series was airing, that were like, you could see them like visibly almost shaking. They were so nervous. It's surreal because I'm just a kid from Salt Spring Island and grew up quite humbly and I don't consider myself special by any means. And I find it odd when someone is nervous to meet you. And I always try to do my best to diffuse that and humanize the moment. But yeah, nothing super unusual. No locks of hair in the mail or anything. Looking back on the past 20 years, is there anything that you wish you had known when you first started out as an actor? And what advice would you give to aspiring actors who are just starting out in the industry or looking to start out in the industry? I think a good thing that I could have used early on was just to stand up for myself a little more on set. Not that I feel like I was getting walked over. I was just nervous to say something if I didn't like a take and I wanted to go again or particular lines that I just felt didn't feel right and I wanted to make a little rewrite. Nowadays, that is pretty standard for me. I'm not scared to ask the director for another take unless we're really tight for time or something. You know, there were countless times early on in my career where I went home at the end of the day being like, I wasn't happy with that take. I wish I'd had one more. Yeah, if I could tell younger Grace than anything, it would be just speak up. What are your thoughts on the changing landscape of television and the rise of streaming platforms? How have the streaming platforms and the difference in the industry in the last 20 years changed or affected your career? There's certainly more content being produced these days. For better or worse, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but it also seems like a lot of streamers are just pumping out content because they can and they have the money. And they don't have to worry about, again, for better or worse, they don't have to worry about advertising dollars, bottom line viewership numbers. They don't have to worry about as much as long as Netflix has its tens of millions of subscribers and they're making money they'll just put out what they want to put out but the one thing that and this is what the writers are striking out is the traditional sort of television model was that you shoot the show you get paid for your time and then over the years you get royalties based on it viewing again based on it selling to another network or another territory but with the streamers there's no deal worked out for that yet for instance you could work for netflix they'll pay you for your time could be the number one show on Netflix, hundreds of millions of hours viewed, and you don't get anything afterwards. There's no kickback, there's no royalties, and so the writers, and I think even SAG, the Screen Actors Guild in the U.S., they're trying to work out something that makes more sense because it's not fair the way that these streamers and studios are running it right now. It's an interesting time. I grew up in a time where none of this was even on the horizon, and I have a soft spot for the old days of just turning on the TV and we actually just got cable again recently because I don't know, there's something about the amount of times we go to watch something on Netflix 
and I'm sure a lot of us do this. You start flip, you're fl- flipping. Shows how old I am. <laughs> you start like looking for something to watch. By the end of it, you're like, ah, let's go to bed. I don't know. There's something simple about cable television where the decisions are made. This is what's on right now. Yeah. And you pick something and you watch it. But we'll see where everything goes. I don't know. It certainly seems like more people are cutting cords than ever. When you look at the viewership numbers of what is considered a hit on traditional television now, it's like a pittance compared to what it would be 15, 20 years ago. If, if a show gets a couple million viewers, they're happy with that now. And that, that would get you canceled years ago. Yes. Granted, a lot of these networks, they do make money in, you know, it airs initially on the network and then they'll sell it to a Netflix or whatever. So there's more income there, but it's a tricky time. It's a transitionary period, but I think it's hard to imagine that cable with commercials is going to be around forever. So recently you became a father and I wonder how that's changed your outlook on your work life and your home life and affected you in general. It's been incredible. It's been very challenging. We had a perfectly healthy baby and she's happy, but being a parent, is it's hard. And I think it's given me a new patience, a new sort of perspective on life, which is helpful for my career. But there's other times where we have a small house here and if we have to tape auditions and Sienna is sleeping, it's very difficult to get that done. Or even when she's awake, she's very talkative and sometimes we just have to send auditions where you hear a baby in the background <laughs> babbling away and, but it certainly comes with its challenges because especially for my partner Christina when she goes to work and feeding the baby becomes an issue it's hard on set I would have to be there to feed her when Christina's filming and but you could not do it alone you need help but we're going with it it's fun it's a new chapter in our lives and we're taking it on that's actor Grayston Holt on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send us a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Buying a home is an important milestone. Find the right realtor and the right listings for your needs at todayshomebc.com. Powered by Black Press Media. With easy-to-use search filters and direct links to realtors and their websites, you'll get all the information you need to find your perfect home. Search hundreds of local listings and get access to the top real estate professionals to help you find your perfect property. Get started now at todayshomebc.com.